0: Hello, I'm Mark Petruzzi, host of Selling the Cloud podcast. And I'm Ray Reich, your co-host of the show. We talk to a wide
1: variety of cloud and SaaS industry thought leaders and revenue generation experts
0: who share their unique insight into what is required to build and grow a great business in the cloud.
1: Now on to today's show. To today's episode of the Selling the Cloud podcast. I'm your host, Ray Reich, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mark Petruzzi. Today, we are joined by Megan Bowen, the COO and Chief Customer Officer at Refine Labs. Today, we'll be discussing three things with Megan. First, opportunity, luck or persistence. Second, paying it back by paying it forward. Is that an opportunity or a responsibility that we all share? And third, the future of modern B2B demand generation and selling the cloud. Megan, please take a moment to share your journey to becoming a guest on the selling the cloud podcast.
2: Hey, Ray and Mark. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, a little bit more about my background. I've been in the B2B SaaS space for over 15 years, started as an account manager. Prior to that, though, I moved from L.A. to New York when I was 19 um, and got my first job at a hair salon. I think the the story I posted on LinkedIn was what prompted you to reach out so that we could dive into that today among other great topics uh, that you just mentioned
0: so
1: 15 years of experience in the SaaS and cloud industry. So you started when you were a teenager in Los Angeles?
2: I moved from LA to New York when I was 19 to finish college. And while I was in school, I got a job at an upscale hair salon on the Upper East Side. Um, and that was how I was able to put myself through college and then right out, out of college, I was able to get my first job as an account manager at an ed tech software company. So that pre that precursor to then getting into the, the startup scene and working in in the software space. Megan, let's start
1: this with what really was my initial reason that I reached out to you and asked you to be a guest on Sign the Cloud. And that is I saw the post you made about a former boss, Julio, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I think he was the person who actually gave you your first kind of opportunity when you moved to New York. The authenticity to us was so moving. I wanted you to share this story with your audience. And more importantly, what motivated you to go ahead and post about it 18 years later?
2: Yeah, absolutely. This was in 2003. Um I was 19 years old. I moved to New York without much of a plan and realized I needed to get a job. Um believe it or not, I was looking in the classified section of the New York Times, so I'm dating myself, and I found this advertisement to be a receptionist at this hair salon. I was kind of like a a hippie L.A. teenager, didn't really pay much attention to my looks. And so I went to this interview at the salon. It was my third day living in the city, my first job interview. And that's when I met Julio. I was like, I can be a receptionist. Like, this is easy. I'm smart. I can pick this up. We had a good conversation. It was paying pretty well at the time. So I literally called every single day for almost two weeks to follow up after the interview, because I was like, I want this job, I am going to get it. Unfortunately, he never called me back. I ended up getting a job selling ice cream in the East Village. And then six weeks later, he calls me and he says, hey, can you come in for a second interview? And I was like, second interview, six weeks later? I'm like, okay, I really wanted this job. So I go back in there and he says, look, I'm gonna level with you we uh, hired somebody else. It didn't work out. And I have post-it notes all over my office because you called every day for two weeks. And And my secretary gave me these notes, but I never called you back. And so when it didn't work out with the person I hired, I wanted to bring you back in. And basically there was a very specific reason I didn't hire you we're a very fancy salon and the way that you present yourself matters. And I think that you can do the job. You seem very smart, but we need to work on your, your appearance, your presentation, basically. And I was like, that's fine with me. (laughs) What do you want me to do? So he was like, let's do this. So he ended up sending me out and buying me clothes, like making over my hair, showing me how to wear makeup. And like transformed me from, you know, LA hippie to to New York city woman. And it was, it was really funny that that was the case, but I think we spoke a little bit about persistence. Right. And it was having that persistence of calling was really the reason he remembered me. And at the time, when I tell this story, people are always surprised. I wasn't more offended that he claimed that my appearance was why I didn't get the job, but I was like, I didn't know better. And he like was so generous to help me change that so that I could break into that. And I worked there for two years. He was like a second father to me. Some of the things I mentioned in that post were, you know, he wasn't providing health insurance, but would send me to the doctor with money when I was sick. I didn't have enough money to buy an air conditioner. And he bought that for me and helped me put it in my apartment. I wrote a business plan for him because English wasn't his first language. um, And it secured a, a loan to renovate the salon. And then ultimately, I got my next job offer from a client at the salon. And he was very supportive of me taking my next step, moving out of the salon world and into more of a regular office job. So from beginning to end, you know, not only did he take a chance on me, but he went above and beyond in supporting me. And I actually, right before I moved out of the city, I went by to visit him because I was, I was curious how things were going after the pandemic. And it was just really nice to reconnect that many years later and he's doing well and it was just wonderful, heartwarming to just see him and reminisce about our time together.
0: Wow, Megan, that was, that was a great story. And I saw some of it, you know, on LinkedIn, but hearing you talking through, it even takes it to another level. So I guess, but the first thing to me, it sounds a little bit like a made to TV movie, you know, uh, like, I'm, I'm wondering if, like, would this be Emma Stone, you know, who would play this part, or like Emma Roberts? I don't, I don't, we have to work on that a little bit. But it's, it's really cool, and it does highlight really what matters in business, and that's the humanity side of it and the loyalty side. And, you know, I'm very proud to say I've made a career myself with those same principles. So that all being said now, you know, 19 years later... You have this incredible business, Refined Labs, and it seems like you're running it the same way. So can you tell us a little more about, you know, how you've taken all those great lessons and turned it into this great business you've built?
2: Absolutely. I think that I've had the experience of working for people like Julio, who take a chance on you. You know, they believe in you before you believe in yourself. They go above and beyond to show that they care about you as a human. And there isn't anything I wouldn't do for him because of what he did for me. And then I've been in other environments where it's been very clear that, you know, a leader or a manager views the relationship as very transactional. And they're uh, working with me in order to achieve an outcome only and don't express any care, compassion, or empathy about me as a human And going through both of those experiences are very different, right? In one case, you feel very cared for and understood, and that actually motivates you and inspires you to be better than you were before. Where in the other environment, you know, you feel that you're a means to an end and can sometimes even feel used or, you know, basically only worth what you can provide versus who you are and how you show up. And so, because I've experienced both of those extremes, it was very clear to me the impact on my motivation and my ability to perform and um, my commitment to a team. And so I believe that, you know, at this stage in my career as a team builder and a company builder, my first mandate is to create the conditions for other people to be successful. So whether that's my team, whether that's my customers, whether that's, my business partner is the CEO of the company, right? Like where I get satisfaction is helping other people fulfill their potential. Um, And that can mean many, many different forms. And what I've come to realize through my experience is it's actually really basic and fundamental things that you can do so that people will exceed your expectations and do great things. And so the way that I like to break it down is number one for me, is empathy. If you can meet people where they're at and you can demonstrate that you understand where they're coming from, it is a building block to creating trust. And so I think taking the time to really get to know the people on your team, your customers, treating them as a human before treating them as a resource, that's number one. And that's just being a good human, right? You don't have to go to business school (laughs) to, to do that well. You
0: probably shouldn't go to business school if you want to do that well, as someone who went to business school, but that's another uh, podcast.
2: Absolutely. You know, I think the other piece is, you know, I believe that as a leader, you have an obligation to communicate a vision and clarity on goals and expectations. There's a million ways to achieve a goal. And so my belief is if if your vision is really compelling and the goals and the expectations are incredibly clear, then you give people what they need, but let them figure out how to achieve those goals. And when people have that autonomy, when they have the ability to figure those things out on their own and you provide them with that belief, like, I know you can do this. This is what I want. You let me know what you need, but I trust you and I believe that you can figure this out. That's incredibly motivating to people. And very often, if you can do that well with a lot of different people, you actually can produce outcomes that you never even thought possible because you're actually mobilizing so many more people and not just barking out orders and telling people exactly what they need to do to get there. And so that creating that space is really important. Again, though, that compelling vision and that clarity is key so that they understand why they're there and what they're trying to accomplish, but then let them figure out the how and the what. And then I think lastly, you know, recognition is really important. I certainly, you know, I say one of my character flaws is I just love external validation. Man, a pat on the back will fuel me for months. <laughs> and the reality is, is most people are that way. And so whether it's public recognition, private recognition, praise for a job well done, but also constructive feedback on how things can be done differently and delivered clearly and kindly, It's so important. And that really continues to build on that trust and continues to fuel their professional growth. And so I think if you really just focus on those core fundamental things that your business outcomes are actually just byproducts of doing those things really well.
1: Megan, I I love your kind of three terms, right? Empathy, the clarity of vision and recognition. But before you can build that type of environment for people to thrive, they have to get into that environment. So I want to link back to Julio giving you a chance. And one of the things I was struck by was your persistence, all those post-it notes on Julio's wall. So my first question to you, and this is for those people trying to break into the B2B cloud industry, et cetera, we've had a lot of discussion about opportunity and access over the last 18 months. I think it's a very much needed conversation, but I want to first talk about the individual's, Responsibility. So we talk about luck versus persistence. Can you share any words of wisdom or advice to our early career people about how persistence actually is the precursor to opportunity access and luck?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And so I always tell people when I go like through the highlight reel of my career, people are like, wow, you just seem to like get one opportunity after the next. Like that's incredible. You were so lucky, right? And when you actually get into the specifics of how long it took me to build my career, it really did require a lot of a lot of persistence. And so the one thing that I'll say is actually right out of high school when I was 18, I I started selling Cutco knives and i credit their selling boot camp to no doesn't mean no no just means not right now and so that's always been ingrained in my head of if i get a no it's like okay that this particular thing at this particular time is a no but that's not a no for what i want and what i believe is something that i want to get or that i deserve and so having that mindset of no doesn't mean no no means not right now is really important that so that you stay motivated and don't get defeated i think another key lesson that i learned earlier in my career People just starting out and maybe people three to five years into their career often can feel very ambitious and wanting to move to the next phase, get promoted, become a manager, become a leader. I was actually an account manager for seven years at a company called Echoc, and I hit a bit of a ceiling there, but really mastered that role. And I wanted to move into management. I found another startup. It was called ZocDoc. And I was trying to break into that company as a team leader. What I quickly realized was the only job that they were going to offer me was actually being a customer support agent, objectively a step back in role, significant step back in income, about a 50% pay cut than what I was getting at eChalk as an account manager. But you know what I said? I said, this is a really young company. They're just getting started. This idea is great. Booking doctor's appointments online, like, yeah, this is what people are going to do in the future. You know what? I'm going to take a step back because I think by taking a step back, it's going to allow me to take two giant steps forward. And so I, I placed a bet. I took a risk and I said, I'm going to leave my ego at the door. I'm going to take this job as a customer support agent, put on my headset, answer phone calls and emails all day from doctors and patients. And I did that job for nine months at ZocDoc. And at the time they had a sales team, a support team, and a tech team. And that was it. They had no post-sale function, And after being on the front lines for nine months, I was able to actually put a business case together and say, hey, you know what? You're missing a function. You keep hiring support people. We're reactively solving problems. Doctors and patients are not having a good experience. If we actually built a post-sale function and proactively managed doctor onboarding so that we could prevent all of these problems from actually ever existing, we would improve churn rates we would improve patient and doctor experience we would reduce call volume this is the right move for the business right and so after nine months on the front lines i had enough data to actually put this business case together but then the first time i brought that to them they said that sounds like a good idea but we're not doing that right now and it took another two to three months of internal campaigning and me bringing it up again and again and again and again and finally when they were ready they said okay, you're right. We need to build this team. I guess, do you want to do it? I was like, yes, I would. And I had the opportunity to build a team from zero to 25 people in 18 months there. And so that was another example of, you know, just because I wanted, you know, I earned the right to have a management lead position, right? Like I recognized where I was and that if I was patient, and got in early at a startup and worked my way up. I could find that opportunity, right? But it wasn't overnight, and I, I did have to take that step back to take those two steps forward. But I wouldn't change it for a thing.
0: So, Megan, I have a curveball for you in this Let's discussion. So, my whole career, I have been, you know, gender agnostic, and in, in the least, in theory, you know, if we look back, maybe there was preconceived notions. But in the book, In Selling the Cloud, I'm very proud of the chapter that I wrote around just women in sales. And frankly, the premise is that women are better than men in sales. They're better in sales leadership. And it's frankly, for a lot of the reasons you described, You know, in Selling the Cloud, the titles are empathy, as you mentioned, authenticity, trust, lots around recognition and supporting along the way. So you've defined so many incredible things about how you build a business, and they're the things that I think matter the most. Do you feel that you're better at that because you're a woman? Is there anything about being a woman that guys like Ray and I don't know about that you would say make you better able to be as articulate and successful in these concepts than some of us guys who try to do the same thing?
2: So I love this question. And it's not to say that, you know, men don't have this skill or can't cultivate it well, but I do believe that women are a bit more naturally inclined to have stronger emotional intelligence overall and that when you really break down a lot of the qualities that we've been discussing most of them can actually be mapped back to eq and emotional intelligence right and when i think about that i think about things like self awareness you know emotional regulation empathy, communication, active listening. And in many cases, those skills do just come a bit more naturally to women than than men. I've worked with many men that have wonderful EQ skills. And so it's not meant to, you know, make any judgment whatsoever. I will say though, that as a woman leader, it's been a really interesting journey for me too, because I lean into those qualities and I lean into those strengths of mine, but it hasn't always served me well. In many cases, it has. And I've been able to rally a team together, build trust really quickly, both within my team and cross functionally to get things done. You know, it's been great with recruiting and great with development of my people. But I've had my own challenges in trying to get into the C suite and navigate a boardroom or, you know, a board meeting or investors. And I've certainly been told that. I can be too emotional or I'm focusing, I'm over-indexing on, you know, if the sales team didn't hit their numbers, it must be the team. Like let's fire them and find new people versus considering that there could be other reasons that are at play, right? And that I've, I defend my team too much or this or that. And so it's interesting because I think, those are, in my view, really important qualities, but they're not always actually well-received in the day-to-day. I don't know if that answered your question. I kind of took a little no, bit of tangent.
0: It, it very much did. And, and one quick thing, Ray, I know you have a question as well, but just to stay into that, uh, I'll share a little story myself. I have, you know, in writing the book and in some things that I've written in the past, which is a very just intrinsic type of focus on selling. It has been my perspective and selling from who you are, selling from you know from a long-term perspective, in some ways selling from your heart, you know, giving up a deal. Because you know it's the right thing for your your prospect or your client longer term, and knowing that's all going to serve you and pay pay you back at some point. Um, but even if it doesn't, you know it's the right thing to do. And I've had friends and you know CRO friends of mine over the years, and I it's actually one quote I wrote an article he read, and he came back and he his exact quote was, "Dude, you really believe that?" Like. The whole concept of things will pay back over time, doing the right thing, being authentic. And frankly, it was really sad, the discussion we we had afterwards, because he was trained and a typical guy kind of way of looking at these things and looking at sales training is, you know, I have to be tough. I have to be, you know, the challenger sale as one sales training approach. It's, you know, it's very successful, but it's all about challenging everything. And I've kind of what well, we made the point of. You don't have to challenge everything once in a while you do, but you don't. And if you do all the time, it's going to you're not going to build long-standing relationships that are going to serve you and serve your company. Yeah. So, you know, that's just been a point of view that I've experienced. And do you, again, feel that it is what have you seen? I mean, do these things get paid back to you and and how so?
2: Yeah. And I have to say, I think, you know, to kind of be a a bit vulnerable here, it's not that from day one, I said, oh, this is how I know this is how I need to be. And this is how I'm going to lead. I got here because I made all those mistakes, right? Like I treated a team member for what they could do for me and didn't actually care about them as a human and saw how it was very detrimental to me and them and the business, right? Like, I have succumbed to the pressure to hit a goal and push deals over the finish line that I knew weren't right because I I wanted to hit that goal. And then I saw everything fall apart after, you know, I dealt with, you know, uh, my CEO telling me to do something that I knew didn't feel right, but I didn't feel strong enough to push back and, you know, defend my point of view and say, no, I'm going to do this and not that. Right. Like, All of the things that I do now are honestly a result of me doing the wrong thing at some point and me literally seeing like I burned this bridge like you know this customer is never going to trust me again or us again right and then because I had that experience. I think a big part of it is a lot of people have these experiences, but they either don't reflect or are not self-aware enough to actually understand the consequences of what's happening. But I am very in tune and empathetic to what happens around me. And so I was able to see that, wow, that was a mistake. (laughs) That was a bad thing that I did. I'm not going to do that again. And then begin to notice other people making those mistakes and the same things happening. And so I do think that there's a part of your experience that has to get you to this point where you realize that playing the long game does make sense. And sometimes you do everything right and you, you know, quote unquote, you still lose. I don't think you actually lose if you do the right thing, but you might lose that deal. Right. Or that project might not be finished on time, you know, for whatever reason. And so I, I do think that there's an experience that I think really people have to go through to kind of really internalize these things. And then what I try to do is I try to pay it forward by telling people like, learn from my experience, don't make my mistakes, but I'll be honest with you. One of my other leadership kind of principles is I know that sometimes people have to learn on their own. Like, even though I'm going to tell them and like, you have to create, you have to create space for people to make their own mistakes because when they learn from that, that's a learning that they're going to take with them in a way that you telling them that thing isn't going to have the same impact. And so it's like understanding that like building a business is messy. Like it doesn't all have to be perfect. And it's okay if you make that mistake because that, that cost was worth you learning that lesson in my view.
1: Megan, I want to double click on you talked about emotional intelligence and how that has served you. But at the same time, persistence and drive seems to have served you well, also. And some people gave you an opportunity, even at ZocDoc, your drive. So I'm going to take a step back. And then when you came up with this idea about customer success after sale, they gave you the opportunity. How has this informed your decision making when it comes to hiring? Because when you're growing, a fast growth company like Refine Labs, or so many of our listeners, right, you want to get people with the right experience who can day one hit the ground and start to make a difference. But that's not always paying it back by providing opportunity and access to people who don't have the requisite experience. So how do you balance that? How has your journey kind of helped you balance that?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And so I would say, honestly, what I've found, especially in building teams and companies, is there are certain roles that you'll be recruiting for and hiring for where there's really important black and white skill sets that you know are really needed for them to be successful. And there are other roles where certain personality characteristics and qualities, if those exist, often can fill skill gaps. Or you know that If they have a particular set of qualities that they'll be able to overcome a particular skill gap, and so think about Refine Labs for a moment. We recruit for what we call directors of demand generation that are working with our customers to implement our framework, and it's really important that they have a certain amount of experience in B2B marketing and demand gen for them to be credible, for them to be effective at doing their job. So that's a particular role where we have pretty black and white qualifications that we do look for, but then we're building a business. And so there are other support roles in the company. There are other operational roles. And here is where I've said, you know what? Those types of black and white skills aren't as important. So for example, I knew that we were going to be hiring, it was earlier days, I needed like a Swiss army knife that could come in and do lots of different things with me. And I was like, right now, we're just going to call this role an executive assistant. But I know that this position is going to become a much more integral role in the company building and company operations. So when I was recruiting for this role, it was like, I'm not looking for someone that's going to be an executive assistant for a long period of time. I need someone that's willing to come in and do the work that has aspirations and those different qualities that can grow with the company. And that as we grow, they can expand their scope and change over time. That person is now our director of operations and is supporting a variety of company building. right? But they never had that role necessarily prior to coming on board. You know, another example is we're continuing to invest in building out our people team and was looking for a people operations manager. And we found an amazing person with great qualities that's really been working in the nonprofit space and helping recruit and onboard volunteers, but didn't have an HR certification or all of those things. Right. But I'm like, no, like That's amazing. You've spent your time in the nonprofit space, mobilizing volunteers to drive results like that's hard. (laughs) And you have to be a people person to do that. Right. And so bringing her in to do that and then now hiring a VP of people that has a bit more HR background and is now going to be able to mentor this individual and really, you know, continue to grow their career. So the reality is it's, you know, when you're building a business, it's not realistic to think for every role that I'm gonna hire, I'm gonna take a chance on everybody for every role, right? You have to be smart about that. There are certain roles where you do need a certain amount of experience or certain skill sets. So it's being honest with yourself about, from a business perspective, where strategically that's really critical. And then there's a lot of other types of roles. Those are just two examples, right? There's a lot of other different examples I can bring up but where it's like, actually, you know, I don't, that doesn't have to fit the cookie cutter mold or the thing that everybody thinks it should be. And so I think it's really recognizing the differences there so that you can have a balance of giving people opportunities that they might not otherwise have, while also making sure that you have the right people in the right roles to to grow your business.
0: So Megan, I really hope that our audience, particularly the young sales reps, don't look at your background and say, well, You know, Megan's not a prototypical sales rep, so I'm not going to listen as attentively to her as someone like a Paul Melchiori or others that have gone completely through the sales ranks and has been on our podcast as well. Um, So I do hope they listen. There's a lot to learn from what you've shared today. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm going to hand over to Ray. Because nobody will, could close up our Selling the Cloud podcast like Ray can. So Ray, finish this up. But Megan, thank
1: you again for joining us. I love the way Mark did that. He knows me very well. I have another question. I really wanted to ask, but we are <laughs> up in 30 minutes. So I'm going to use my emotional intelligence and not go there. Because I think the subject material we covered with you, Megan, was so good. So thank you so much for being a guest on Selling the Cloud. We really appreciate it. Absolutely, thank you both for having me. And to our listening audience, if you're enjoying our guests and the content we're discussing on Selling the Cloud, it would mean the world to us to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app. Go ahead and give us a like, even give us a rating and your recommendation how we can make the show even better for you as your journey in Selling the Cloud continues. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Mark, for being my co-host as always.